You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. So if you have uh, spent much time around me during the holiday season, there's one thing you know, and that is that I love the story of a Christmas carol. I am like, I am embarrassingly into it. Every year, I think I've seen every iteration, like every movie, every different adaptation of it. I also, every year I read it. And in fact, this year, I found a copy of the annotated edition of A Christmas Carol. So for every little bit of Charles Dickens' story, there's like trivia with it. And so like I'm reading through this stuff and just absorbing it, you know. Most people will spend their time like on useful things, you know, like most grown men might learn how to do woodworking or study whatever a retirement plan is. However, I just spend my time reading up on Charles Dickens's A Christmas Carol. So, you know, if it comes to like fixing a toilet, I'm helpless. But if there is ever a daily double on Dickens, I am betting it all because I know this story inside and out. So you can imagine my embarrassment when a few nights ago I was watching A Christmas Carol with my children. We're watching the Muppet version, which is our family's favorite version. And I will say is the most, I really think it's the most true to the story, Um, and one of my favorite adaptations of A Christmas Carol, but we're watching this, and the ghost of Christmas present comes on screen, and he's all giant and jovial and in the big robe and in Scrooge's, like, bedroom with all this food, and he says that great line where he goes, come forth and know me better, man, and then my daughter, my oldest, Cora, looks at me, and she's like, dad, why does he keep saying that? Like, what does he mean when he says this? And I didn't really know. Now, of course, I didn't tell her I didn't know, right? Like, I made some up. I was like, well, I'll tell you and introduce yourself back then. Like, but I had no idea, right? So then later on, I was actually reading my annotated version of the book, what that really means. And the, the authors were talking about how this ghost, the ghost of Christmas present, is a representation of Christmas. And his goal in meeting with Ebenezer Scrooge is that he introduces Scrooge to Christmas so that Scrooge can know Christmas better. So when he says, come forth and know me better, man, he is inviting Scrooge to understand Christmas better and through that hopefully become transformed, which is what we see throughout that story happening. And so this morning, my hopes is that we can do the same thing. I hope that we can tour through the Bible and begin to know God better, man. Like that's our plan for this morning. So one of the things the Ghost of Christmas Present does is he goes to all these strange places. He takes Scrooge on this kind of journey, and they go to these different places where you wouldn't expect to find Christmas, but at each place they find Christmas. So first he takes Scrooge, of course, to Bob Cratchit's house, and in the midst of their poverty and Tiny Tim's sickness, you see a family that has found Christmas joy. And then later they go to this like desolate area where there's this mine and these miners, and there this family has gathered together and they're singing a Christmas song. After that, Scrooge goes out to to sea like open ocean, and he's terrified as this ghost takes him to the deck of a ship. But on that ship, there's a hardened sailor who is humming a Christmas tune. And then to the isolation of a lighthouse, there Scrooge sees the lighthouse keeper that he too is celebrating Christmas. And in every place you would expect not to find Christmas, instead you find joy in the midst of these areas because it is Christmas. And so this morning, I want to take us to some places in the Bible where we would not expect to find Christmas. I want to take a tour through scriptures, the history of scripture, and find places where we wouldn't expect to find Christmas, but see it there for us. So of course, we have to begin in that that field with the shepherds. 
which is a place we have come to expect to find Christmas, right? Like we put it with our nativity scenes. We see it played out in the Charlie Brown Christmas special. We wouldn't expect to find Christmas there, but we should, right? Or we do expect to find Christmas there, but we shouldn't, right? We are used to it, but a field is not where we should go to find Christmas, a field of shepherds. But of course, there are these angels that appear to these shepherds tending their flock. And in Luke 2.10, we hear that the angels said to them, fear not, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now with that, we have to ask the question, why shepherds? Why does God send his angels to shepherds? And I know in the Bible it might seem like a common occurrence to see angels speaking to people because it happens rather often in the Bible. But if you consider how many centuries the Bible covers... And then how many people angels actually talk to? It's a rare thing to happen for God to send angelic angels, messengers, to speak to people. But here we see him speaking to shepherds. And as far as I've figured out, I challenge you to see, like, I might be wrong on this. Somebody can proof check me this week and let me know. But as far as I've figured out, this is the only occurrence we have of angels visiting unnamed people in the Bible. Usually they visit somebody like Joshua before he goes to fight the Battle of Jericho or people that we know, names, main characters in the story, but here just unnamed shepherds. We don't get to know their names, and yet God sends angels to them. So the question we have to ask is, why shepherds? Why does God declare the birth of his son to shepherds in a field? Why didn't he go to royalty? Why didn't he go to a king and say, hey, there's another king going to be born? Why didn't he go to the chief priests? Like, why didn't he speak to some of the religious leaders? I feel like that might have saved them trouble later on. Why didn't he tell, like, the, the telegraph, like the Bethlehem bugle? Like, why didn't he let them know if he's looking for people to broadcast a message of his son's birth? Instead, he goes to shepherds. So as we tour through the Bible, I hope we can answer that question. What is God trying to bring to our minds by sending his messengers to talk about the birth of his son? So we're going to tour through the Bible doing this. We're going to move to Genesis chapter 29, the very first book of the Bible. Are you ready? Take hold of my robe, Ebenezer. Come on, we're going to go. All right. So here in the very first book of the Bible, early, early on, we see that God's people are shepherd people. They're sheep people. In, in chapter 29 of Genesis, we see Abraham's grandson, uh, who is named Jacob. He meets his future wife. So Jacob is going to like travel to see some of his, his relatives, and he meets his future wife, and it says this in verse 9. It says, while he was still speaking with them, the servants, it says, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And she's there surrounded by the sheep like a Disney princess is surrounded by birds, right? And, and Jacob lays eyes on her, and he is just smitten as she comes through, and they're like, nah. and like he just, it's just this moment, he falls head over heels in love with her. And so then he decides to work for his father so he can earn his daughter's hand. So he goes and he works for Laban for seven years to earn Rachel's hand, and he works as a shepherd. And then Laban kind of pulls some tricks on him. He has to work more years for him. So Jacob becomes a shepherd. We see early, early on, God's people, like Jacob, are shepherds. Now, Jacob, when he's doing this, he's actually on the run. Jacob is an outlaw at this time. He is running from his brother Esau, who he deceived. And not just his brother Esau, but his father Isaac. He did some pretty dirty stuff to both of them. And now he's basically running for his life because he thinks his own brother wants to kill him. And so he becomes a shepherd. 
which is a good job for an outlaw. Like if anybody's looking for, you know, outlaw jobs, like it's a good job to be a shepherd. In fact, Moses, when he was on the run after having killed a guy in Egypt, Moses becomes a shepherd. And that's actually where God speaks to Moses through the burning bushes as he's tending sheep in the desert. And so we see that it's a good job for people that are kind of on the run or trying to escape people because you're often on the outskirts of town. You become very transient, like you you move from one place to another as you help your sheep find new pasture. And this is what comes to mind when we start studying and thinking about shepherds is that they were a homeless people. And so we see this theme of just being like a nomad a transient person, a a journeyman all throughout this, and it really connects with shepherds. Later on, as as Jacob has grown older, and he's he's an old, old man, he has a son named Joseph, and Joseph ends up in Egypt, and Joseph is going to bring his whole family to Egypt, Jacob included, because there's been a big famine in Jacob's land. And so when Jacob comes down, um, comes down from where he's living to Egypt, Jacob tells this to Pharaoh in chapter 49 of Genesis, 47, verse 9. He says, the days of the years of my sojourning, my wandering, are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. Jacob is saying right here that I am a wanderer. Just like when he was on the run from Esau and tending sheep, he is a wanderer. He's a sojourner. He's like Boba Fett, right? In The Mandalorian where he says, I am a simple man making his way through the universe just like my father before me. That's Jacob. And that's a lot of the people that we see throughout the Old Testament. We see this theme of wanderers, of sojourners all throughout the Old Testament. We see it in Jacob. We see it in the wandering of the wilderness after Israel escaped slavery in Egypt. And then later on, when King David is establishing for God a permanent home in the temple, as God will move out of his transient tabernacle, a tent that was just moved from place to place into the permanent temple, here's what, here's what David says in 1 Chronicles 19. As he dedicates this temple, he says, For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. This is a constant theme throughout the Old Testament of not having a home, of being homeless. And shepherds capture that theme because they had no real home. They would just move from one place to another, and they would be out on the outskirts of town with their sheep. They didn't have a permanent place to live. And that's also a Christian theme. I don't know if you've caught on to it yet, but we see in the New Testament, the New Testament writers talking about this idea of that we have a home that is elsewhere, that here on this earth, we're sojourners, we're wanderers. We don't have a permanent home here, but one day there's a home coming for us. Philippians captures this. I know we just finished that book a little while ago, so you might remember some of these verses, but Philippians 3.20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we look at shepherds, we're looking at a homeless people, which I think is a people we should identify with as Christians, knowing that here is not our permanent home. This is not where we belong. We, like shepherds, are transient. We're sojourners. We don't have a permanent place here. But one day, in heaven, we get a permanent place. So that right there, as angels announce the birth of Jesus to people without a home, I think we're to realize that, man, he's announcing the birth of one 
that will bring a permanent home. The angels go to shepherds that are homeless to talk about the baby Jesus that will provide for them a real and permanent home. And so that's the first thing I think we can learn about God as we take this tour of shepherds throughout the Bible is that God has a heart for the wanderer. God has a heart for the homeless, for the one that doesn't feel like they have a place where they belong. That's who God sent his son for. So let's go a little bit further. Let's look at another idea of shepherds in the Bible. Come along, Ebenezer. We will go to Genesis 46. And here in Genesis 46, when we see that Jacob is moving his family to Egypt, his son Joseph coaches him. And he's like, when you're talking to Pharaoh about where you should live in Egypt, here's what you should say. And here's what he does say. Um, he says, when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? This is Joseph speaking to his father, Jacob. He says, you shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. The Egyptians looked down on shepherds. And so Joseph says, you probably want to live in this area, a little more outside of Egypt. It's a good area to get that spot of land. Tell them you're shepherds, which is true, but because Egyptians abhor shepherds. They don't think they're good. They look down upon them, which is typically how societies would look at shepherds. It's today really changed our viewpoint of shepherds, but back then it was not considered a noble occupation. In fact, shepherds, I mean, they were the literal outcasts. They were on the outskirts of the town. They would come to your town. They wouldn't really get to live inside your town. You would be a stranger to the people in town. So they were very suspicious of shepherds back in first century Palestine. In fact, they wouldn't accept a shepherd's word in a court of law. They wouldn't accept their testimony because they didn't trust shepherds. In fact, often shepherds would be considered to be thieves, and sometimes rightly so, because when certain groups of shepherds would come towards your town, it might be that things would go missing from your clothesline, as these guys would sort of make their way into town and get supplies that way. Shepherds were not like what the precious moments like that we think of right now, like the cute little child that's all clean and like, oh, a shepherd, like, or like the noble guy that'd be wise with a beard like a wizard. Like, that's what we think of with shepherds. That is not how they were like thought of in their day. They were seen as the outcasts. They were seen as people not to be trusted. And we see that God sends his angels to announce the birth of his sons to people that were outcasts, that were looked down upon in society. Now, why would God do that? Why would God send his angels to announce the birth of his son, our king, to those kind of people? Well, I think it's because that king, Jesus, would spend the majority of his time with outcasts and people that were looked down upon and often not trusted. As Jesus went from the manger and grew to be a man, he spent his time on earth with people like working class fishermen and tax collectors that people thought were just like thieves and, and people that would steal from you. He spent his time with, with lepers, the outcasts of society, literally living on the outskirts of society. He spent his time with people that had a terrible past, and it often messed up in big and disgusting ways. These are the people that Jesus went to, and these are the people that God's angels went to to announce the birth of God's Son. Psalm 147 captures this idea that, that God has a heart for the outcast. 147 verse 7 says this, The Lord executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. God went to shepherds 
because he lifts up those who are bowed. God went to the ones that were looked down upon because God has a heart for those that are looked down upon. I think these are things that are to come to our minds when we look at the shepherds in the field. Why would God go to them? Because that's who God has a heart for. The people without a home, the people that have been rejected and marginalized in society. So as as we look at shepherds too, as we look at this theme of like what they were in the Bible, we can't neglect maybe the most important part of shepherds, which is the sheep, right? You wouldn't be a shepherd if you didn't have sheep. So we have to look at sheep and what they mean in the Bible as we go through our tour. In the Bible, often God's children are compared to sheep. So we have verses like in Isaiah 53.6, where it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. It's comparing us, God's children, to sheep, which we might think is cozy, right? Like we might think that that is like just sweet. Again, we're thinking precious moments like, oh, sheep, like they're little cute pets. In reality, if you've not spent much time with sheep, sheep are not cute pets. Sheep are dumb. And you can go, I I would recommend this for your, your time this week. This is what I spent some of my time on this week. You can go on YouTube and just look up some YouTube videos, just Google dumb sheep. And you're going to find some real gems. I mean, you're going to be laughing. Like, there's one, I got some still shots from some of those videos. There's one where a sheep gets stuck in a tire swing, and it just keeps trying to run out of the tire swing, but it just keeps swinging back and forth, and all the other sheep are just watching it. Sheep are followers. They, they belong in a flock. They like to follow a flock, but sometimes that can be to their detriment. They might even follow a flock off a cliff, right? You know, your mom's always like, if all your friends jumped off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge too? Sheep would be like, yeah, like that's what I'm following the flocks, what we do. Uh, sheep also, though, even though they belong in a flock and do best in a, in a flock, they're prone to wonder. They often get away from the flock, and so they need someone like a shepherd to go find them and bring them back to a flock because sheep are defenseless. They don't have any claws or teeth to, like, fight off predators. They're just, like, they're just lamb chops out on the prairie, right? Some wolf comes, it's done. They need a, a shepherd to stand in between them and the predators, Sheep also scare easily. I've got another picture of sheep just terrified by a rabbit. That's a fun video to watch. Like this rabbit is basically hurting the sheep and they're like, what is it? Like, we don't know. Like they're terrified just of a rabbit. Sheep on their own are in danger. They're dumb. They're not smart. They they are, sheep also, here's something fun I learned. Sheep like to take naps. Anybody else like a good nap? Like today, I've got one scheduled in after church. Sheep love to take naps, particularly pregnant sheep like to take naps. The problem with pregnant sheep when they take naps is they will often get in a spot where like they get super comfortable and then they might roll over on their back and they can't get back up again. And so then a shepherd has to come along because it could be very dangerous for a sheep and the sheep's baby, like he has to get them back up right again. Without a shepherd... These sheep are dumb, defenseless, helpless. Sheep need a shepherd. And that's who the Bible compares us to, right? The Bible is saying when Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray, Isaiah is saying, you're going to follow a flock off a cliff. Isaiah is saying, you're going to get your head stuck in a bucket. You're going to roll over on your back and not be able to get up again. You need somebody to help you out. This is what the Bible, the picture of the Bible paints of you and I when it talks about us as sheep, which is a thing that Jesus did as well. It's not just in the ultimate, the Old Testament, I almost said ultimate Testament, which like they should have renamed them, right? Like we should have an ultimate Testament, way more exciting than old and new. But in the New Testament, Jesus also compares us to dumb sheep, right? In Luke chapter 15, 
he gives this parable of the lost sheep. And obviously in the parable, God is the shepherd and we are the sheep, right? And he says in Luke 15, he says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Christmas is that story. Christmas is the story of the lost sheep who the shepherd goes after. We are those lost sheep and Jesus coming to be born in a manger is our shepherd joining us and seeking after us to find us as we are lost. It's the same story as Home Alone, right? Kevin McAllister's mom does whatever she can. She begs and barters to get another plane ticket, finally ends up riding in the back of a polka band with John Candy, all to get back to her lost child, her child who is alone. That's what we read about when we read about sheep in the Bible. That's us. That's why we need Christmas, because we're sheep. We're dumb, we're lost, we're prone to taking long naps, and we need somebody to wake us up and get us back in the, in the spot we're supposed to be. And that's what God was doing at Christmas. Also, if we're going to talk about sheep and shepherds as we tour through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, we have to look at how Jesus himself compared himself to a shepherd. In fact, he said that he was the good shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's John 10, 11. He's saying, not only am I like a shepherd, not only am I a person who's going to care for you, the sheep. Not only am I the one who's going to go after you when you are lost, but like a good shepherd, I'm willing to lay down my life for you. If it becomes like a lion or a bear comes up trying to get at the flock, I'm willing to die to keep the flock safe, which is ultimately what Jesus would do. And I think we hear echoes of that when we're reminded of these shepherds in the field at night, when angels come and talk to them, that we ultimately will have a shepherd willing to lay down his life for us. But not only that, Jesus talks about being a shepherd and then knowing us like a shepherd would know his sheep. And in John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. He's talking about the intimate relationship between sheep and a shepherd. The shepherd would have names for the sheep. The sheep, shepherd would know the sheep's different personalities, like that one over there. He's the black sheep of the flock. Like, I got to watch him because he wanders off. He's always getting into trouble. The shepherd would know this. And Jesus is saying, just like a shepherd, I know you in that way. I know where I have to watch you. I know that you're prone to those naps. I know that you're prone to getting like stuck your head in a bucket. You know, Jesus knows us in that way because a shepherd would be with the sheep. And this is something I think we often don't think about, but shepherds didn't like leave their flock out in the field and then clock out, like go home at night and sleep in their bed. The shepherds lived with the sheep. The shepherds went to sleep among the sheep. The shepherds ate where the sheep ate. And because of that, the shepherds were also where the sheep would often poo, sheep poo. Shepherds are filthy and, and sheep poo, right? Which I know you're like, Elliot, it's a Christmas sermon. Can you not go scatological just once in a sermon? No, I can't because this is important for us to understand. The shepherds would be in the filth of the sheep. They would be wallowing around in the things that the sheep are wallowing around in. Another reason why they're outcasts in society, because a shepherd walks into the general store and you're holding your nose. You're trying to go to a different aisle because this guy's got flies around him. It wouldn't be pleasant. He's not bathing much. He's in what sheep are in. But this is the picture Jesus paints of himself. He's saying the stuff that you're in, 
I'm in it too. God sending his son to our earth is like a shepherd that is in the field with the sheep and the sheep filth. That is Emmanuel, God with us. It's not God with us when we are well-behaved. It's not God with us once we've cleaned up and gotten our acts together. It's God with us in the midst of our mess. And that's what one of the angels said in Matthew 1, 23. He says, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The picture of Jesus as a shepherd with sheep is Emmanuel. And I think one of the reasons God sends his angelic messengers to shepherds in the field is so that we can capture that idea. Be reminded of God with us the way that a shepherd is with sheep. As we go through this whole tour of shepherds in the Bible, trying to know God better, trying to learn more about God's heart, we see he's got a heart for the homeless. We see that he's got a heart for the, for the outcast, the marginal. We said that we are sheep in need of a shepherd and that God has provided for us a good shepherd. But we can't forget the place that maybe it's most apparent what a good shepherd is in the whole Bible, and that's in the book of Psalms. And so in Psalms, we're gonna find Psalm 23, known as the shepherd psalm. We don't think about it as a Christmas psalm, as a Christmas poem, but it is. So look with me in Psalm 23. And as we go through this, I want you to try and hear those echoes of Christmas. Hear the themes that we've talked about as we've gone on our journey trying to know God better. David, who's king in Israel and was a shepherd as a boy, writes this psalm, and here's what he says. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Did you catch all that? He's saying, we are sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm a sheep. And we have a good shepherd. We have God with us, Emmanuel. Verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though I'm an outcast, even though I've made trouble for myself, even though I've wandered off and now I'm in a valley of the shadow of death, my God sent one to be with me. My God put a baby in a manger so that I could have a guide. Verse eight, I'm sorry, verse five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My home, my citizenship is in the house of the Lord. Not temporary, not transient, but eternally. Because Emmanuel. Because God with us, because that baby grew to be a man who lived a sinless life and then died on the cross and rose again for me. So that though here on this earth, I am waiting for a home, I'm desiring a home. One day I get a permanent home because of what my shepherd did for me, laying down his life. I think all that is wrapped up in this angelic announcement to these nameless shepherds in the Bible. When we think of that idea of home, 
I think it's an idea we really feel at Christmas, right? This desire for home. We sing songs about it. There's no place like home for the holidays. We want to be with our family. And I think maybe this year, as a lot of families can't get together like we normally do, we particularly feel that desire for home, which I think, again, is a Christian desire, a desire for us to be with our Creator. It's a feeling that we can't quite get, and maybe we understand that a little bit this Christmas, maybe a little bit extra. I know for me, I feel this because I remember when I was a kid, every Christmas day, we would go to my mama and pappy's house in Craigsville, West Virginia. Every morning we'd get up for Christmas, do our presents, and then we'd all load in the car. You'd get to pick one of your Christmas present toys, take it to mama and pappy's, and like every year it would snow. Maybe it's just because that area of West Virginia, it's colder, it always snows. We just felt like there's always going to be snow in mama and pappy's. And we'd get there, and family had already started rolling in from all over the state, and my cousins would be there. And then we're saying, well, where are these people? Are they? When are they coming? And they're coming. And then everybody would gather together. And I love being with my family in the snow at mama and pappy's house, decorated for Christmas, but one of my favorite parts was always the dessert table, which was always laid out. The way my family does it, I don't like have a lot of memories of just like one specific meal. I think there's too many of us have like one meal around a table. There'd just always be food out and you'd just eat as you would go along. Like that's how we did it at holidays with my family. But there was the dessert table that my mama Gregory would always have ready for us. Who knows how many days she's cooking, making the different things. And one thing I always went to on that dessert table were those caramel covered um, uh, cornflake clusters. I don't even know what they're called, but that was my go-to. And I think Mama knew that. She knew that I liked those. I think she knew like each of her grandchildren, like what we liked, and she'd make sure it was on the dessert table. For me, it was those caramel cornflake clusters. Those at Christmas and the snow and family, that was a feeling of home. And I think back to it, that's a feeling of home that I don't have anymore. Because the last time I ate one of Mama's cornflake clusters, I didn't know that it was the last time. Because I didn't know the next Christmas cancer would have set in. And I didn't know the Christmas after that, that Mama wouldn't be with us anymore. And a few Christmases after that, that we wouldn't even go to Mama and Pappy's anymore for Christmas. So it's that feeling of home that I don't get back. And I think we understand that more and more as we go through life and we begin losing people and pieces of, of things that we like. I feel we might understand it a little extra this year, that feeling of, man, what is home for me this year at Christmas? It's a feeling we're chasing, but I want to say that that's a, a holy feeling. That's a, that's a feeling I think we as believers in Christ should experience this desire for home. And it shouldn't be a desire just for snow and desserts. It should be a desire for our heavenly home, for our Savior who has come and rescued us, that we get to be with him and we get to be with the others who believed in him that have gone before us. That is home. So we don't get to experience it here, but one day we will. One day we will get to be with our good shepherd because in that field, Angels came and announced to some other shepherds about the birth of God's son who came to provide for us a home, who came to be with us on the outskirts, who came to be with the oppressed and the marginal, who came to wallow with us in our mess and call us to him so that one day we could be with him in home permanently. And so it's on that note that I want to talk about this table, the, the shepherd, the good shepherd in Psalm 23 is prepared before us. I want that to be in our minds as we go to the communion table this morning. I want us to think about how our good shepherd has led us, how our good shepherd has provided for us a home 
by his blood poured out and his body broken for us. And so this morning, the table prepared before us, the sheep, is one from our good shepherd. And we go to it to remember and recognize what he has done for us at Christmas so that we can have a permanent home with him. So this morning, if you find yourself a wanderer, if you find yourself homeless, you find yourself an outcast, you find yourself dumb and lost and in need of a caring shepherd, I want to invite you to the communion table and recognize what Jesus has done for you so that you can have that home. So I'm gonna pray for us. The band's gonna sing, and then we're gonna to go to communion together. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you gave us a home. Thank you, God, that though we are wandering, though we are lost, though we are outcasts, though we are dumb sometimes, you came to be with us. And because of Emmanuel, God with us, we can be with you. And so God, we thank you for your son's death on the cross for us, your son's death that is echoed in the field of shepherds at Christmas so that we could have a permanent home. And we thank you for the great love that you must have for us to do all that for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can make your way to communion.